Welcome to The Word in Life. The following message is by Pastor James Detweiler. Additional sermons and other resources can be found at thewordinlife.com. If you'd like to take out your Bibles and find the book of Colossians in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. Last week we began to look at this passage to see why we gather as the people of God. What's the point? What's the goal? What is the end? And then how to achieve it? Because we know that the goal sets your priorities in life and the decisions that you make to reach that goal. So it probably would be a good idea to know what the goal is of life in general. What's the most important thing? And how does what we're doing as the local church fit into that? And how does what you do on a day-in, day-out basis as you follow Jesus and deepen your relationship with Him fit into that? To discover the answer to those questions, we need to know who Christ is. We learn about God. We don't Merely learn, though, about Him. We learn of Him. We know Him in relationship. So who Christ is and then who we are as a result of that. Our identity in Jesus and having a proper relationship between the two. That's what Paul is talking about here, as we will see as he wrote to the Colossians so many years ago and as he continues to speak to us today, who Christ is who we are as a result of that, as the people of God, collectively, and as followers of Jesus individually. And we saw last week, and we'll see again today, that the most important decision that you will ever make in life, and that a church makes in life, is to recognize and submit to Christ's preeminence. That means He's number one. He's the main thing. He's first. So resolve to put Him first in all things. All things. And as a result, if you make that decision, your life, I'm sorry to tell you, might not be easier, more than likely will not, but it will be clearer. Because you have a goal, and the goal sets the agenda, and the agenda helps in your decision making. So let's review what we learned last week that we live individually as followers of Jesus and collectively as the church to the glory of God. That means we, when we function as God intends, it shows God to be as good as He really is. That He's real, that He's there, and that He's working. And He's majestic. And we do those things. We, we operate as we should, Showing God to be glorious because of God's saving and sanctifying work that God rescued us individually if we are in Christ and that he rescued a people for himself, his church. He did that. He did that. And a part of that work is that we take on this identity, the what of who we are. And Paul told us last week, we are people of faith. We are people of love and hope and truth. We are people of spiritual growth and discipleship. 
Those are the marks of a true Christians in a true Christian church. And again, God is the driving force behind all of that. Yes, we have responsibility. Yes, we live it out in real time. But you take God out of the equation, there is no fuel for the fire. It requires a supernatural empowerment. So that is the what. So if you'd like to go back at your leisure and read Colossians chapter 1, the first 14 verses, you'll find that great description of, of who you are as a follower of Jesus and who the church is as the people of God because of God, because of God. Now I want to pick up where we left off in verse 15 of chapter 1. We've gotten the what, who we are and what the church is. Now I want to get the, the foundation, the basis of all of that, which is Christ, which is Jesus, which is why we gather under his name this morning. So Paul writing of our God, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister." The Christian, so that's the individual, and the, the church, the, the body of Christ, puts Jesus first in all things. That's the aspiration. And when you do otherwise, you reverse the creator-creation relationship, okay? And that's hard for us to accept because we like to play creator, don't we? Whether it's the things we do with our life, our possessions, our relationships, our career path, what we want to do in the future. We like to play creator. We like to play God. When we take God out of the equation, when we don't put Christ first in all of that, the relationship gets uh, imbalanced, all out of whack. There's some high Christology, theologically speaking, in this passage. I mean, this is a wonderful description of who Jesus Christ is. It's a glorious passage. And the key text is verse 18. That in everything, he might be preeminent. Now what does that mean for Christ to be preeminent? A position of first importance. A position of first importance. A position of first importance. Not second, not third, not fifth down the line, but first, importance. And this is significant and relevant because the goal, remember, establishes what you do and this church does moving forward. So if the goal is to put Christ first, that will have implications. And if the 
The goal is not to put Christ first. That will have implications. Last week, I spoke of the analogy of a solar system. And there's a sun and there's plants that, because of the intense gravity, are held in orbit around the sun. And Jesus is the sun. And this creation, this world, you and I are the planets that are orbiting around that sun. And you try to reverse it, chaos ensues. We revolve around the sun. The sun does not revolve around us. We are to revolve around Jesus. Jesus is not to revolve around us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. The inspired words of the Apostle Paul, Jesus is God. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that Jesus is God incarnate, that, that Jesus took on flesh. We see the, the spiritual God through Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. In Him the fullness of God was pleased to, to dwell. Uh, Jesus was not a demigod. He, he was not... Um, a really spiritual and religious man who enlightened himself to become God. He is God and has always been God. And we are to treat him as such. There are no other equals, no other legitimate options. If you take the text for, for what it's worth, Jesus is God. And we worship him as such. It says he is the creator God. We, we know that God creates, and it says that Jesus was involved in creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. So, by Him, all things were created. All things. All things were created through Him and for Him. That, that Jesus is the author of life. He's the sovereign. He's the king. He's in the position of supremacy over all things. He's the one who designs and plans and determines and works out everything according to His will. He is the Creator God. He is the sustaining God. It says, in Him all things hold together. I'm telling you, if Jesus took His eye off the ball, the universe would fall apart. In Him we live and move and have our being. You won't get up tomorrow if it wasn't for Jesus. He sustains everything. All things. Is there an exception there? 99% of things? No. All things. All things are sustained by Him. He is the ruling God. It says He is the head of the body, the church. The head speaking to a position of authority and prominence. God is sovereign. There is no king. There is no president. There is no congress. There is no dictator. There is no world system. There is no... Government that surpasses God's sovereignty. His power is unlimited. He rules and reigns from heaven at this very moment. He rules creation. He rules the world. And He rules the church. And He rules the Christian. He is the resurrected God or the resurrecting God. 
the firstborn from the dead. Jesus rose from the grave to vindicate his words, to demonstrate the power of God, God's stamp of approval upon Jesus, that he had power over life and death. And just as he was resurrected, he grants life, new life, resurrected life, to anyone he pleases, which includes us. He's the resurrecting God, the resurrected God, the living God. He's the saving God that through Jesus, God reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. Sin required a payment. Sin required atonement. A work that we in our fallen state could never perform. Therefore, Jesus enters the equation to do what only one who was fully God and fully man could do to die for our infinite amount of sin. He saves us. He saves us. He is the transforming God. Paul, speaking to the Colossians and to all of us, he says, once you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Once. Once. In the past, you were an enemy of God. Hostile and alienated from Him. Because of your sin, your disobedience, your rebellion, your rejection, your abandonment of God as Creator. You were His enemy. But then it says that Jesus has made peace by His sacrifice. So all those who are saved, all those who are in Christ are now not hostile and alienated, but now in a loving relationship with God. Not alienated, but now His people. Now His cherished possession. He is a sanctifying God. It says that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. God is working in you to work out the will of God. To mature you in the faith. Wherever you are now, you got a little bit farther to go. And no amount of willpower or self-help will get you there if God is not in the equation. He is the one who sanctifies to make holy, to, to cleanse, to set apart, to devote. He does that work. Thank God He does that work because I cannot do it. And I hate to break it to you, but you cannot either in your own power and wisdom. It's supernatural. It's guaranteed for those in Christ. That is who Jesus is. I mean, there's lots of other texts in Scripture that, that describe who He is, His characteristics, His traits, His person, the things He's accomplished, but this is, again, some high Christology. Making the main thing the main thing. That in all things Christ might be preeminent, might be a first importance. So put Christ first in your own life and in the life of a congregation. Put Him first. Put Him first. When, when you make decisions, think about Christ first. How does this reflect Jesus? How does this honor Jesus? How does this reflect uh, God's glory to the world? What is God doing in this situation for my good and His reputation? Put Him first, because if you don't, it reverses that creator-creation relationship. And the solar system gets all out of whack. 
Because of who Jesus is, he should be first. It's only right. None of us are these things. No one else in creation are these things. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Put him first in all things. Let's finish the text, picking up with verse 24 and moving to chapter 2, verse 7. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Every other choice that you make in life as a body and individually, is subsequent to this primary decision that you need to make. And <coughs> just knowing how things work and life is and churches are and congregations are, uh, there may be some here that haven't made that choice to put Christ first in all things. You, you, you may have him like uh, 1A and 1B. You're 1A and he's 1B. Or you might have him 2 or 5 or 10 or way down the line. Or he ain't even on your list. You see, Paul was suffering greatly in life. He's imprisoned in the moment of this writing. Uh, he was imprisoned many times. He, he, he suffered greatly for Jesus. But what sustained him? What motivated him? The preeminence of Christ. Jesus being the most important thing. He decided early on in life, after his conversion experience, to, to put Jesus in his rightful place, to live completely for Jesus in everything, every decision, every choice, every act, every deed. He was recognizing and submitting to Jesus as Lord. As difficult as it may have been, as costly as it may have been, Jesus, I don't want to go to that town because they're going to stone me. Jesus, I don't want to go to that town because they're going to laugh at me. Jesus, I don't want to go to that place because they're going to take my possessions. Jesus, I'm not going there because they're going to take my life. Yet Paul recognized and submitted that Christ was preeminent and that he was not. He lived for God's glory and not his own, for God's good purpose. He resolved to put Christ first. That was the primary decision, and then things followed after that. Uh, 
the decisions, although not easy, were clearer. Look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What a mission statement. What a life purpose or goal. Him we proclaim, working hard so that others might grow up in the faith and be presented mature in Christ. God powerfully is working in me so that he can powerfully work in you. What a mission in life. Again, life was not easier for Paul and it hasn't been for the countless Christians that have lived since, but it has been clearer. It has been clearer. In chapter 2, Paul says, you received Christ, so walk in Him. Be rooted in Him. Be built up in Him. Be established in Him. Just as you were taught and abound in thanksgiving. That's Paul's prayer for the Colossians, and that's Paul's prayer for us. Okay, he, he's speaking to you now. God is speaking through Paul to you now. Walk in Christ. Be established in Christ. Be rooted in Christ. Continue in the faith. Grow in the faith. Live out the faith. Abound in thanksgiving. Yes, suffering comes. Persecution comes. Hardship comes. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. And because you've decided the primary thing in life, all of those subsequent decisions will be clearer. You've already decided the main thing. You get that right and other things are more than likely going to be gotten right. You might not know the exact details, but you'll know the overarching purpose and direction and reason. This flies in the face of conventional worldly wisdom because we have a merit-based system where we like to have tables and put the good on one side and the bad on the other. And we think if we just do enough on the good side, it will outweigh the bad. So relate that to what Paul is talking about here. If I make 99% of my decisions in life that appear good and ethical and religious and spiritual and faithful, and, and, and on the other side it's just 1%, but the 1% was I didn't put Christ first, what's the outcome? You still fail. Because you didn't make the main thing the main thing. And God is not impressed with your 99%. He's impressed by His Son, Jesus. Who will take His 1% in the analogy and He'll, he'll, he'll overwhelm the 99%, good and bad. And He'll make it perfect. Because of His righteousness, His perfection on our behalf, we can be in the love of God forever. Eternal and abundant life. I lived like that for a long time, thinking that if I just got the 99% right, but Christ was out of the equation, man, I would measure up. And in a lot of ways, I did. But not in God's eyes. I couldn't fool Him. I was not making the main thing the main thing. So for me, that meant forsaking the 99 to pursue Jesus. 
Life has not gotten easier. But it's gotten clearer. And what that looks like for you, I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, I do. The Bible describes what it looks like. But in the details, I don't know. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't, I don't know where you are in terms of your relationship with God. I don't know where you are in terms of your understanding of who Christ is and who you are as a result or what the gospel is. I don't know. But if you resolve to put Christ first in each of those decisions, each of those questions, you can't go wrong. Will you submit to Christ's preeminence and then trust God to work out the rest? None of us are perfect. We're all struggling with this each and every day. Individually, moment to moment, it's a battle. Just because I'm a chaplain or a pastor or been following Jesus for many years does not make it any easier. I struggle against temptation and trial and my own selfishness and my own lack of vision each and every day because I want to be the son. I don't want to be the planet, but I'm not the son. God designed it that way. For my good. For my good. Please put Christ first. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, our God. We thank you that he has loved us, has sacrificed himself for us, has saved us, has redeemed us, has reconciled us, has put us on the path to glory, that in Him there is abundant and eternal life. It is my heartfelt prayer that each and every person here would be experiencing that life that only God gives. And for those who are struggling to experience that right now, to recognize and submit to Christ's preeminence, you can do that work. They cannot on their own. So let them throw up their hands and in humility cry out to God who saves. And in their moment of need, you will deliver them and they will glorify you. Let them do that individually. Let them do that as families. Let them do that as leaders in the workplace, in the home, in the community. Let them do that collectively as a congregation, the church, Christ's body. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us at The Word and Life. If you've been encouraged by this message, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to check us out on the web at www.thewordandlife.com.